Good morning. As, it, uh, as Josh just said on that video, it says on the cover of your bulletin, beginning a new series this morning, just for these three weeks in September, called Reach One. And what I hope this will be long after this series is over, long after September is behind us, but that these words will stay with us. They will become something more than, you know, a title of a series, that they will become a way of life. Uh, for every one of us in this room, whether you're a student, whether you're in the fifth grade, or you're a, a, a mature adult, a senior citizen, it's really a, a way to talk about every single one of us owning, practicing uh, the mission that God has given to this church, something that's practical and practicable uh, in your everyday life. So I'm going to get to that, hopefully something that, um, you know, not a, not a technique, not a one, two, three, but something that is practicable and that's integrated a, a part of your faith, and we'll talk about that two weeks from this morning. But for the, for the next two weeks, today and next week, I want to just look at one passage of Scripture. So if you have a Bible, uh, open it up, turn it on to Acts chapter 1, to look at... Um, the foundation for this idea, the foundational, scriptural foundation for this um, mission, for this command. And what you see in the book of Acts, very well-known passage, most of, some of you could summarize it, is not only the beginnings of the early church, like a history book, you know, you know, the first days of America, the first days of Western civilization, the first day of, you know, my family. The book of Acts is the history book of the New Testament church, but it's not only the beginnings of the church, right? We're looking at the history of the early church. It has in it the mission of every church that has ever existed, local church, from the time of Jesus until today. That's why we're looking at it. And if we are serious, if I am serious, as that video said, if, if you and I are serious about reaching a new generation of people, uh, what do I mean by that? I mean people that today do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that could not tell you the basics of the gospel, who do not know the love of God, who don't know the forgiveness of sin, right? Whether they're 6, 16, 36, 106, whoever they might be, people who do not know Christ today. What you, some of us might even take for granted. For, if we really want to reach people who don't know God, a new generation, we're going to have to do things this way, what we're going to talk about this week and next week and the week after, because it's the only way that God has given us. So let's take a look at this passage. We'll look at it for a couple weeks together. Familiar, follow along as I read Acts chapter 1, the first 11 verses. In my former book, Theophilus, Luke, the writer, writing to a friend, a personal letter. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. It's the only place in the Bible that it mentions this, right? It doesn't say this in the gospel. That the risen Jesus Christ, nail prints in his hands, nail prints in his feet, they'd watched him die a horrible death, spent not a minute, not a dream, 
40 days with these uh, leaders. Can you imagine speaking to them about the rule of God? On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, where they were, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then he gathered, they gathered around him and asked him, right? You know, you ever have that kind of, the one question I want to ask God if I could, right? They asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Remember, they're Jewish uh, people, these apostles. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly, this passage couldn't get any more, you know, wild, two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, it's like the mailman, you know, men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, two things, very important, just maybe two points in this brief introductory message, that Jesus lays down, yes, for the early church, but for every church that's existed since. Two things that I hope are only, not only true for Browncroft Community Church, but I think that I hope that you can apply in your life today, that I can apply in my life today, that Jesus is saying in this very important passage. The first one is this. What God is asking you to do will always be bigger than what you can handle, okay? What God is asking you to do Right? And what God is asking us to do, it's one thing as we talk about the mission of our church, reaching lost people, if I can, t reaching people who are far from God. But what God is asking you to do today, I couldn't even begin to list all the things of the people in this room, whether it has to do with your faith, whether it has to do with your job, the integrity of your job, whether it has to do with the biggest challenges in your life, whether it has to do with the integrity of your marriage, the integrity of anything, right? What God is asking you to do, right? God's will the rule of God, the kingdom of God, what he's asking you to do will always, not sometimes, not once in a while, not every five years, will always be bigger than you can handle. Why is that so important to know? Because I think very many of us, if we're honest, we give up on what God is calling us to do. We quit, we capitulate, we say, I could never do it, just like Tracy said for a period in her life because it's bigger than who I am when the foundation of the Christian faith, when the foundation of what it means to walk with God, it's a metaphor, it means you're not doing it on alone, means that God is going to ask you to do something that yes is bigger than you, but he is gonna provide himself, he's gonna provide assistance so that you can do what would normally be impossible without him. Most important work of faith, okay, 
Whatever it is in your issue today, the most important work of faith is found along this line, and you need to decide. Yes, we need to decide this as a church and big things like reaching lost people, but you need to decide, I would say, every single day of your life, I need to decide every single day of my life for the things that God is asking me to do, whether or not I'm going to move forward with God. I'm going to find a way to trust him, to learn how to rely on him, to do what seems impossible, to walk with him, or I'm going to stay right where I am. I'm going to justify my inability. I'm going to justify my inactions. I'm going to make excuses, and I'm simply going to write off the you know, unrealized dreams that God may have given to me. And I'm going to spend my life thinking about what God has done. I'm going to spend my life you know, talking about what I think God has called me to do, but I'm never actually going to do it, right? What God is asking you to do will always be bigger than you can handle. Some of you know, as I've told this story before, um, seems like such a long time ago now. On the year 2000, I spent a year as a short-term missionary in a small little country that most of you couldn't find on a map I couldn't have called uh, Kosovo in the former Yugoslavia. And I just uh, signed up to go. I felt God called me to go. But I'll tell you, I, it, and so let me, let me summarize it for you in a minute because most of you couldn't remember it. It's, it's ancient history in a world of one catastrophe. We have another one coming today. We had a Mexico, an earthquake that happened two days ago. I mean, it's hard to keep up, right? Uh, but let me summarize it for you. Think of Syria. Think of a largely Muslim country that's been wracked by civil war where tens of thousands of civilians, people like you and me, have been caught in the crossfire. That's what Kosovo was. It was just another Syria. And I can still remember the first week that I was there. It was the dead of winter in January of 2000. I didn't know this country any more than you do today. And I remember we were delivering stoves and, 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 and blankets and we went into this house on this little, in this little village where I was assigned to work. And it was full of, in this case, only women. There were seven or eight women. They were mostly dressed in black, and every single one of them had in their hand a photograph of their son, of their brother, of their husband, who were farmers and, and school teachers, not soldiers, who had been killed in this conflict. And every one of them was crying. And I thought, oh, my God, what in the world am I doing here? Now, five months later, was March of 2000, the entire country got together to celebrate, I shouldn't say celebrate, to memorialize what had happened just a year earlier. They cited all across the country, thousands of people had been killed, and they had one of these memorial services in my little village of only 1,000 people where 47 men had been killed. But in this little village where I was uh, working, this memorial turned out to be a national memorial because the general of the Liberation Army, his name was Adem Shaku, I still remember, he happened to be from this village. So the national media was there, the politicians were there. Their national public radio of the United States came and did a story on this memorial in May of 2000. And, right, about this horrible, complex civil war 
and they asked yours truly to be the keynote speaker at this event. Now, well, don't clap yet. You haven't heard the rest of the story. Now, why am I, let me tell you something. Why am I telling you that story? What God is asking you to do will always be bigger than what you can handle. I had absolutely no business on this platform. This civil war, this conflict, a Muslim country, I could barely articulate the basic, you know, uh, ideas of what actually had happened and why it had happened. So why, the only reason they asked me to do it was because me and my buddies, because we had, we had run out of every good idea to try to engage this community with the gospel. Everything we tried, we were shooting blanks. We were almost ready to quit and we decided, I really believe God put this in our heart to say, listen, what do these people care about right now? They don't care about Jesus that much. They don't care that I have a Bible in my hand. They don't really care about what I'm talking about, but what they care about right now is their dead brothers and fathers and sisters and mothers. And God said, you need to care about what they care about. So we raised $11,000 or something, maybe it was more than that, and we gave it to them to build, I don't have a picture of it here this morning, this beautiful 20 by 20 um, memorial stone, okay? And only because of that reason, right, they said, we want you to speak now. The only thing I can tell you as I think of the word that summarizes that day for me is the word overwhelmed, okay? And when I looked it up in the dictionary, here's what the word overwhelmed means. To give too much of a thing to someone. I thought, that was me. But when I say I was overwhelmed at that opportunity, I wasn't, over, I wasn't the kind of thing where I thought, I'm gonna stumble over my words. I'm gonna throw up, right, in the middle. It wasn't that kind of overwhelmed, right? I got through it. I was overwhelmed in the sense that I knew I was totally and wholly in, uh, uh, unqualified to do what I had been asked to do. I had absolutely no qualification whatsoever to be the speaker at an event in this country, in this conflict, with this kind of level of grief. I was, you know, it's like you were at the inauguration of the mayor and, and, and Dave, and they just came out and said, she's sick, will you come and give the address? I mean, it would be something that ridiculous. But only because I knew this is why I had come to this country, it was clear to me that God had opened up this opportunity, that God had opened up doors that I could never have imagined would have been opened up five months earlier. Only because of that, I said, absolutely, I will do that. And I got up there and shook the hand of that general and said what I felt God wanted me to say, okay? Now, why am I telling you that story? Not to impress you, because what is going on here in Acts chapter one is exactly the same kind of thing. It is kind of in, in business speak, it's a succession narrative. That's what's going on, right? Why does this end? He says, he's writing, oh Theophilus, I wanna give you a little heads up on what's going on. It's been a very busy time in Jerusalem. But guess what, Jesus came 
He spoke like nobody ever spoke. He changed people's life like Tracy. He took people who thought they were done, their sin had destroyed their lives, and he brought them new hope and new life, and he called together a group of people. He did something amazing. He died on the cross for their sin. He rose from the dead and sat around for 40 days and had meals and had conversations. My goodness, he, the world has changed. But, and he said, we're going to change the world. We're going to launch an organization that takes this message of healing and redemption and grace, and we're going to spread it through every culture and every neighborhood and every jail cell and every schoolhouse. We're going to do it. And they said, yes. And they said, but I'm leaving, Right? <laughs> That's why they were looking up intently in the sky and saying, where are you going? Right? I'm leaving. It was a succession narrative. Two or three chapters later, it says of these leaders, they were unschooled and ordinary men. The guy who wrote Luke, I'm, you know, I'd hate for someone to say that about me, but that's what it says. By the way, I just want you to know, these men, these women, these leaders who changed the world, paraphrase of, Luke, of Acts 4, they were unschooled and ordinary men. They had absolutely no business whatsoever speaking the words of God, but God had called them to do it just like he's called you and me. What you have in Acts chapter one is a spiritual crisis, but keep, in, keep this in mind, that Jesus Christ initiated. It was a spiritual crisis so that the early church not only these 12 apostles, if you read verse 15, I didn't go that far. There's 120 people. This is the early church. 100, less than the number of people that are in this room. 120 people were given this opportunity. It was a, it was a spiritual crisis precipitated by Jesus so that the church would learn a kind of dependence that was absolutely necessary, right? Absolutely necessary for their success. Here's the lesson for you and me. You need to stop waiting for God to do for you what he's calling you to do with him, right? You need to stop sitting around and waiting for God to do for you what he is calling you to do, has been calling you to do with his assistance, right? That's the lesson of Acts chapter one. We need to take personal risks what is God asking you to do that's bigger than you can handle? And we as a church need to take greater risks. What God is asking you to do will always be bigger than you can handle. Second point, and my only other point, to receive God's power, other great point in this narrative, you must first, first accept his mission, right? See, it doesn't work the other way. You know, God, you give me the power, I'll do what you ask me. You give me the love, I'll make good on my promises in my marriage. You give me the money, then we'll build the family ministry center. No, it isn't how it works, right? To receive God's power, that's what this is about, but it's a promise. It doesn't come. Do not leave Jerusalem. But you will, we will receive future tense power when the Holy Spirit comes. But before you're going to get the power, you have to say yes to the mission. You have to say yes to God's will, what he's asking you to do. And listen, this doesn't just happen on the, on the macro scale. It happens on the micro scale every single day of your life if you're paying attention. Yesterday, I, 
uh, was in a golf, it's an annual golf tournament from old high school friends, from old buddies from high school. And I, and I, I, I do enjoy it uh, uh, because it's time to spend with these friends. Maybe one of them's a Christian, but basically not Christian folks, okay? And so I, I enjoy doing it. So we got there yesterday and we're getting ready to get into the carts. And um, one of the friends, there's actually more than four, but uh, we, I was in this foursome, and one of my buddies, um, for something, he couldn't come. So they, they put in his slot this other guy who I'd never met, who was a friend of the guy who started the golf tournament, who's also a high school friend of mine, but I didn't know this guy. They just slotted him in. And we're sitting around there, you know, getting ready to go, and I'm having these thoughts. You know, who's going to sit with that guy? Because I'm going to spend the next four hours, I want to spend it with my good old buddies, and I'm thinking of this one guy who I did spend a little time with in the foursome, but not in this cart, you know, who's a character, and he's funny. I just want to spend some time having a little fun, listening to, to mucking it up with my good buddy. And he said, get in the van, or get in the cart. But the, but the Lord started saying to me, listen, see this guy you'd never met? I think I want you to spend time with him. I want you to make a choice just to take, just to take that empty seat with him. And I, it was only five minutes. It felt like a half an hour, right? <laughs> and, 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 and my buddy, other buddy kept saying, sit, and I said, finally, I said, no, I'm going to go sit with him. Let me tell you something. This man I had never met, we spent the next, the better part of four hours. I mean, we, we didn't get the whole two. And he began to pour out what was going on in his life. I'd even tell him I was a pastor yet, right? That's usually when a, either it goes really bad or really good, depending on your life, right? Uh, he began to tell me about this very big challenge in his family's life. And before, you, before we got done, prayed for him, prayed for his wife. Five hours later as I was leaving that little thing, the last person I went up and shook hand and looked him in the eye and said, thanks, was him, Okay. To receive God's power, you must first accept God's mission. Now, I'm running out of time, but let me say something about verse 6, this question. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, books are written on this passage, and there is a library of theology here. And I'm not going to give it to you this morning. Ten of you are excited. The rest of you are saying, thank the Lord. He's not going to do that. Uh, because, but let me just tell you what the theology is. When they say to Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's a very sensible question. The promised Old Testament Messiah had come. The promised Holy Spirit, Joel 2, was about to come Everything was lined up and what they were asking made absolute and total sense that the kingdom of David and the kingdom of Solomon that had fallen into disrepair and ruin would be restored. That was the right question. And I would say theologically, Jesus does not say no, right? Some people, oh, everything's changed. No, God still has a plan for Israel. He doesn't say no. In fact, I would even say he indirectly says yes. He says, listen, but here's what he says, paraphrasing here, uh, verse 7 and 8. 
There will be a promised restoration. The people of God, the, the Jewish nation, they will once again ascend. They will have a part in God's future. They, the promised kingdom will come. But, here's the, here's the nuance, it's not going to come in a flash from heaven. It's going to come in a slow, day-by-day, spirit-led mission that you men and you women are going to lead. That's the difference, right? That's the difference. Now, move off theology to practical theology because there's a huge practical theology question here too, right? And if you, if you really want to grow, you got to get this. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what Jesus is saying in his answer. It's not for you to know that he doesn't say no. He's saying, well, it's not important for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set for his own authority. This is what Jesus is saying. I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about the biggest challenge you have in your life right now. What God is asking you to do will always be bigger than you handle. Here's what Jesus is saying. You need to be less concerned about what I'm going to do. That's what they say. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you at this time going to change my health situation? Are you at this time going to give me the money that I need? Are you at this time going to fix my kids' problems? Are you at this time? And Jesus says, listen, you need to be less concerned about what I'm going to be going to do, and you need to be more concerned about what I'm asking you to do. That's what he's saying. It's not for you to know the times or the dates of the Father has set by his own authority. Here's a rough paraphrase. Mind your own business. <laughs> what is your business? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Right? You need to be less concerned about what I'm going to do and more concerned about what I'm asking you to do. Feel free to fill in your own, insert your own greatest challenge. God, uh, 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 send me the power and then I'll do what you asked me to do. Give me the love and then I'll treat my spouse the way you've asked me to do. Give me the money, give us the money and then we'll build a, 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 you know, a new family life center. When you give me what I'm asking for, then I'll do what you're asking, Right? That's what Jesus is addressing here. But the principle is this. Before God's going to give you the power, whether it's to honor your marriage covenant or to pay your taxes or to share your faith with the guy at a golf course, you need to say yes in your heart to the mission. Right? This is what, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to do what God has asked us to do. You know, the currency in the Christian life is faith. This is what a pastor, I heard him say this definition of faith, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's great. It's believing God's word and acting on it no matter how you feel about it because God promises a good result. That's what it is. It's believing God's word and acting on it, right? No matter how I feel about it because God promises a good result. Right? God is... Whatever God's asking you to do will always, if it's serious, significant, it's always going to be bigger than you can handle, right? Always be bigger than you can handle. But before the power's going to come, you've got to say yes to what it is God is calling you to do. So as we begin another year together, okay, how about you? 
How about you? In what ways is God calling you to serve his mission today? Now, in two weeks, we're going to talk about, as I said, a practical, practicable, simple way that all of us can do in a manner of speaking, listening to God and responding in the way that I did with this guy yesterday. Reaching people who today do not know God and his love. But the reaching really begins right here, right? It begins in the family ministry over the next 16 weeks. It begins in engaging people in the parking lot. It begins in serving right. It's in reaching the people that God is sending to us right here, right now. And what I want to challenge you to do, go ahead and take this little card out, okay? And I want to pray for us. I want to commission us this morning as a, as, as a, as a community. But I'm asking you to take time, really, right now, spill this thing out. And then in a second, in a minute, I'm going to pray. I'm going to encourage you to come up. Some of you just need to say, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to continue doing what I did last year. Uh, this, you know, uh, 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 I will continue to serve this year the way I did last year. That's huge. That's all we need to know. And if you're interested in another general area of service from our parking lot to our family ministry, we're not going to, you know, uh, cordon, you know uh, grab you on the way out. We're going to get back to you. But as an act of unity... I want to encourage you to fill this out and bring it forward and then we're going to pray. But let me, let me just share a quick story before we do that. Uh, uh, within the last week, I was in a group, uh, uh, a home from, from Browncroft. And it was out of maybe 30 people there. We were just talking about, you know, what God's doing in the future of the church and, you know, what might be. And this woman, she's with her permission, Joan Woody, her and her husband Joe have been at this church for 40 years. And she wanted, she I have to share something with you. I said, great, what is it? And she said, you know, for many years of my life, you know, her, even before she was married and for the first probably 30 years of her marriage, she said, you know, I was involved in every kind of ministry. And I, she was also a professional counselor, Christian counselor, some of you know her. But she was very involved in the ministry. She goes, but 20-some years ago, I was diagnosed with a, with a, um, a physical challenge. And I didn't know that. I've known her, you know. Not every physical challenge is obvious. And she said, it was a debilitating challenge. And I had to almost overnight step back from my involvement in, in ministry. And she said, it was so discouraging. And she goes, it got to a place uh, of after a few years where I just figured, that's it. I'm gonna have to spend the rest of my life just simply helping to keep focused on my health. And many times over those 20-some years, I would say to God, is it time now? And he'd say, not yet. But he said, two years ago, Bob Morris, you don't know I was going to use you this morning. She said, Bob Morris shared in a video that he had been tutoring kids at uh, a school of 28. And she just said, like a light came on, God said, this is what I want you to do. And she goes, I went, I, I found out who the heck is Bob Morris. I'm going to find him. He introduced me to Kristen Schmidt, the school teacher at School 28. And Kristen assigned me to mentor this third grade girl um, who had some really significant issues. And she said, I have continued to meet with that girl for the last 
almost two years. And I just want to tell you something, Pastor. That has changed my life. I said, why? And she goes, and she doesn't remember her exact words, but kind of like, because I'm, I've been freed up not to focus on myself, and I've been freed up to really join God in what he's doing in the life of another person, right? That's what we're talking about, right? So our, the band's gonna come out. I don't you, we're not ending our service. I'm gonna challenge you, right? Some of you just need to affirm what you're doing. Fill this out. Come right up here. Don't waste any time. Then we're gonna pray. Go back. Don't leave the room. So I'm gonna you to pray for us. Toss the thing in there, and then we're gonna pray. Okay, let me pray for us right now. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for everyone in this room. And I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, uh, do what you did in Joan's life and in Tracy's life and my life yesterday. Do something in our lives right now. Uh, Challenge our hearts. Challenge our wills that we might be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.